what I've seen at conferences is unbelievable enthusiasm to be meeting in person. What I've been hearing from the trainees is that it's kind of revelatory. Like they, they didn't understand, I think, a lot of them, how different science is when you're doing it in person and when you're having conversations face to face with people, the sort of creativity that it sparks. That's Dr. Gina Torrigiano, neuroscientist at Brandeis University and current president of the Society for Neuroscience. Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Scientists. I'm Vivian Marks. Today's episode is about neuroscience. It's with Dr. Torrigiano, whom you just heard, with Dr. Damien Fair from the University of Minnesota, and Dr. Robbie Green from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. Today's episode is co-hosted by Dr. Jean Zarate, senior editor at Nature Neuroscience, who is also a musician and actor. So good morning. I think I've met everybody except Gina. Uh, so just it's nice to meet you. I'm one of the senior editors over at Nature Neuroscience. Um, nice so to nice to meet you too. <laughs> I think you've dealt with my colleagues more than me. In this episode, we want to give you a little sneak peek of the upcoming annual meeting of the Society for Neuroscience and share with you what our guests said more generally about neuroscience. Just a note about SFN, which is the nickname for the meeting. You might have your suitcase all packed and you might already be in San Diego for the meeting, but perhaps you just can't manage a trip at the moment for various reasons. So let me just say you can still register to participate virtually even when the meeting is underway and you can watch recorded sessions after the meeting. A link to register is in the show notes. At this meeting, you will experience and perhaps also meet with Dr. Torrigiano, Dr. Fair, and Dr. Green. It's a meeting nicknamed SFN, where around 20,000 researchers who study the brain, clinicians, and basic researchers from many sub-disciplines come together. Beyond those 20,000 attendees, others will log on virtually. Before we get to the meeting itself, here is a part of the conversation I want to share with you. It's kind of a nerdy game. In the first round, you will hear Gina Torrigiano respond first, then Damien Fair, and then Robbie Green. Okay, so it's time for this. I guess it's a game, but it's also more time to reflect too, even though it's fast. For the rapid fire, Robbie has done this before, so he's a veteran at this. You've probably done this elsewhere. We're going to mention two terms, and um, you pick one that you like better. And then we'll move on. And in order to be fair, it'll start with different people. We can start uh, with Gina and then go around and then uh, start with a different person next time. So you have time to to think. And no um, you just want us to pick. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you hate it, then don't pick. Skip it. <laughs> say so. It's not a problem at all. You can say, I don't like this one. Um, all fine. Jean, do you want to start? Sure. MRI or microscopy? Microscopy. MRI. Can I say that? Can I? <laughs> of course. <laughs> you can just jump in. I mean, okay. Yeah, I expected that from you, Dean. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm more analytical in, in uh, bias, so I'll go for the microscopy as well. Okay. Poster or talk? Poster. Poster. Brainer poster. <laughs> PhD program, four years or as long as it takes? Hmm. Well, neither. Or both. Probably not long enough. Actually, I think, yeah, anyway, no explanation. Neither. 
<laughs> it's fine. You can explain. You can blow up the game. It's totally yeah, fine. It's okay. <laughs> not not forever though. Not forever. Yeah. That's also not yeah, we are mortals, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Psychedelics or psychoactive drugs, interesting or fringe? Interesting. Oh, interesting for sure. Who can argue with that? <laughs> more techniques or more theories? More good theories. Better techniques. <laughs> <laughs> Focus techniques, I should say. Yeah. Gap filling techniques. Can I say that? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Two sides of the same coin. Big labs or small labs? Medium labs. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm really serious. I've got a waffle for you. So, so small labs, as long as they're collaborating. Mm. Depends on the PI and the personality. E either, you know, either. <laughs> <Can I say that? laughs> it's good to have a critical mass that where there's lateral transmission and people are really mentoring each other in the lab. I think that that's really helpful. But then too big, and it's just not fun anymore. This really depends on the on the culture of the area where you are. So if you have small labs and they're very interactive, which they can be, uh, then you get the best of both worlds. There are other aspects where you can have many people, many different people working on on a single subject, coming at it from many different angles, and that can be in, that can be really facilitated by a big lab. It just depends. What are the questions being asked? I mean, you know, today's world, there's almost doesn't exist a lab, small lab. I mean, you know, like you can't do everything by yourself anymore. It just doesn't really exist. And it's moving further and further away from that. Um, so it all depends on how everything is set up and how you can maximize the, the broad um, expertise that's required to do really good science. And sometimes it's just collaborating among smaller labs and sometimes it would be putting it under a big umbrella it just depends, you know, on the questions and the personalities who are running the, running the show. I'm going to just make an editorial comment about sort of all of these questions. And that is that in my view, um, the best way to get sort of a, a robust field that's really moving forward and pushing back the, the, the frontiers is to, um, allow a diversity of approaches, a diversity of styles, a diversity of people and ideas coming into it. There isn't like one formula that's the right one for doing, you know, really breakthrough neuroscience. I think so, you know, that's something I think, um, you know, maybe the field is struggling with a little bit, making sure that resources get distributed broadly enough that um, that, that actually happens. As an electrician, this is Robbie Green. Really, I mean, that's how I got my my start. Uh, uh, typically, back in the bad old days, the good old days, we, I mean, we would work in these with these rigs, and we'd be by ourselves. I mean, it was very much a, uh, you know, I like to have my rig like a submarine, sort of, you know, I could reach everything and work together on it. Then once I had my data, once I uh, had and and maybe also on, uh, at the beginning and designing some of the of the uh, um, subjects, um, but um, uh, that would involve other people and collaborating with other people. But at, at initially, 
at the at the beginning of this. It was just uh, you know I was an electrophysiologist, and that's so that's how how I worked. Uh, that's really changed now. Uh, the idea of doing electrophysiology distinct from genomics, for example, or even for uh, applying it to behavior in things like imaging and you know other technologies like this. Um, you, you just wouldn't do it by itself anymore. Name one emerging hot topic in neuroscience. Yeah, I'll go, go back to the uh, genomics and, and now it's uh, application or using that kind of understanding and environmental genomics, let's call it that. The, so the interaction of the uh, environment uh, in, all, in all its senses with the, uh, with the genome. Uh, I think um... this is Gina Torrigiano. Machine learning and other approaches, other new approaches to studying complex free behavior and relating that to brain activity. That's, you know, something I'm in particular really excited about. This is Damien Fair. Non-invasive precision brain targeting. There would be a lot more to say about each of these themes, of course. We hope you enjoyed this nerdy game with Gina Torrigiano, Damien Fair, and Robbie Green. Next up, our guests talk about the SFN meeting itself. Conferences these days are overshadowed by COVID, visa challenges, thoughts about carbon footprint, equity, and resource constraints. We asked the guests about the upcoming meeting and asked about conferences in general. Here's Jean Zarate from Nature Neuroscience. So I don't know about the three of you, but in this year, in 2022, I've started to go back to conferences in person. And some of the things that I've noticed is there's a massive awareness of COVID. Do you have a mask mandate? Do you even want to go? Some people uh, are still opting to stay in uh, and do a virtual uh, attendance instead of an in-person attendance. So that's one massive theme. I've also seen an increased focus on accessibility uh, and equity for everybody around uh, the world. And I've also seen PIs show up with brand new labs because their lab personnel has turned over over the last two years during the pandemic. So they all come with this renewed sense of enthusiasm to network and to learn uh, from each other. So what have you seen as you've gone to conferences and what are you looking forward to for SFN? Right, I guess I'll start. Um, I, what I've seen at conferences is unbelievable enthusiasm to be meeting in person. What I've been hearing from the trainees is that it's kind of revelatory. Like they they didn't understand, I think, a lot of them, how different science is when you're doing it in person and when you're having conversations face-to-face -face with people, the sort of creativity that it sparks. So they've been coming back from meetings just with this incredible sense of just excitement and possibility and I think they didn't understand how fun science could be and, and the sort of in-person aspects of it is part of what makes it so, you know, incredibly rewarding for, for a social creature like a human being. So that's one thing I would say. The other is you're absolutely right that, you know, these issues of equity and also climate change and all of these things, people being worried about um, COVID, um, but also just people in, you know, in a lab with not enough money maybe to send all their trainees or in a country where they can't get a visa. All of these things are really issues that we've been thinking a lot about in terms of, 
you know, we are a international organization. We want to make sure that everybody has access. So that's why we, we are doing a hybrid meeting this year. And we have, we don't know how it's going to go. We don't know how many people are going to take us up on the hybrid aspect, but it's there precisely to make sure that, um, as many people as possible have access to, you know, the cutting edge of, of neuroscience. We're guessing there should be on order 20,000 people in person, but that's, there's a big, you know, um, margin of error there. So I don't know. I think it's going to be, it's going to feel really big and really exciting. And like, there's, you know, really a critical mass, I think. Um, and then the big question mark is how many people will take us up on the virtual piece, because I think a lot of them will be registering at the last minute. And so we're just not going to know until till we till we find out. This is Damien Fair. I think we're in a in a place in a world right now where we we don't really know what the right balance is. It's it's so new um, to us about how, you know, how how to do these types of conferences. I think. Uh, meetings like SFN, which which um, are usually kind of cutting edge about how to handle these changing environments, is is a good testing spot. So we'll learn a lot by from from SFN this year. Uh, certainly, the students are. I, I think there's a new um, probably uh, a new realization of the value of of making relationships and doing things in person as you come out of the pandemic. I mean, I've had I have students who now in their third year. Right. And they're really nervous. They were really nervous with the fuck society this year about giving their poster. I didn't even recognize because they've never done one like in a real one yet, you know, and it's fascinating, you know, that, you know, how how different things are. But I think that the value of the input that doing things in person is is now kind of being realized. We kind of took it for granted, I think, of, of those types of relationships. But then it also puts a lot of pressure and recognition about you know how do you how do you make those kind of experiences um available to everybody right and and that's that's part of that will be part of the challenge so even if there's we we kind of move to these a hybrid scheme you know in the future i i still think there's going to be a lot of um a lot of growth that's going to be required to truly make the experiences equitable we are allowing question and answer, you know, so people can ask questions. People attending virtually can ask questions of the um, the speakers. So this is also kind of a big experiment we're doing to see how that works to sort of integrate questions from the people who are there and people who are attending virtually, which we haven't really had questions at the big lectures for a while. So I think that will actually improve the overall um you know, sense of uh, give and take and and maybe let the virtual people feel like they're participating more. So now we get to this actually event that's going to happen. Obviously, it's a gigantic event. And I know that you all have spent a lot of time on it. And we don't have enough time to talk about everything. But what are you most excited about, about the upcoming annual meeting of the Society for Neuroscience? What kind of is, is, speaks to you in the schedule that you've compiled. I am really looking forward to the energy that comes out of these meetings. This is Robbie Green. And I'm really hoping that this comes across also on the virtual aspect of it. I think there's a good chance that it that it may, especially with this uh, added interaction. I didn't know about this, but this is, I think it's a terrific addition to this. But um, one, one of the most amazing things, I think, not, not only for 
um, uh, you know, faculty and and uh, so forth that, that that are there at the meeting, but and the and the networking, but also for the for the trainees that that come, they've never seen anything like this, and I mean to see the reaction and the again this energy that comes out of this and and the excitement of it, it, it is um, you, you can't tell them about it. I mean, other than to say this happens, but boy, to experience it uh, is something that they won't soon forget. I know I've never forgotten it, and I really miss it. So this is one of the reasons that I'm really looking forward to this meeting. The top one is is looking at at, at the development of uh, the these new uh, genomic uh, atlases, genomic-based atlases, which are just remarkable achievements, I think. And, and they're, they really are just a beginning. They're, it's like laying a foundation. Uh, we don't know exactly where they're going, but we're going to start seeing, even at this meeting, some of the applications of these ap atlases and, and, and where their worth may actually come out. So, so now we're understanding that we, we know there are many, for example, many different types of uh, neurons in the brain. These cell types are now starting to be categorized. They're also starting to be localized uh, in, in whole brain atlases, which is something that we've never been able to do before. We're also starting to understand some of the, so, so these are all cataloged or, or um, uh, looked at on the basis of their gene expression. We're starting to uh, see the elements or understand the elements and, and starting to categorize them as well that are actually controlling this expression, which in turn is controlling the way in which these cells are behaving and knowing how they're all behaving in this comprehensive fashion uh, will allow us to, to begin to get a, a, a much different perspective on behavior and how it's being generated that, that we've just never had available before. So this is really nice. And then I'll just mention one other bonus that, that I think is coming out of this is understanding these controlling elements is allowing us to start to make sense of things like GWAS in, way, in ways that we've never been able to do. So we, we find a, a gene location out of the GWAS that's associated with a particular phenotype, usually a, some kind of pathology. And now we're, we're starting to be able to, to understand even if this location is not actually a gene coding area, it's, it, it's very likely that it's a gene controlling area, a gene controlling element. So for example, an enhancer controlling whole sets of genes, uh, it's a DNA binding site or a promoter, another DNA binding site that binds to a specific protein uh, promoter, uh, a sorry, a transcription factor. And this controls whether a gene gets expressed or not. And this is why cells act, even with the same exact genes, why they act differently. So now we're starting to be able to put that together. And we'll, we'll see if it, how sensitive the, these uh, uh, comprehensive gene uh, assessments are, uh, uh, whether they're going to be sensitive enough or how we have to change our assessment of them to be able to understand how uh, this gene expression changes with a changing environment, how it changes across conditions, how it changes with, say, pharmacology, a, a therapy or something like this. 
these these things we, we're now realizing they're incredibly dynamic and we've got to now be able to to make that kind of assessment this is all starting to emerge at the meeting so that's what's got me going this is damien fair i kind of think of sfn it's like my new year you know we i i i like going to the meeting because it's it's a it really breaks me out of my you know cognitive box you know as steve hyman used to say right where I, I, I begin to branch out into these different spaces and see how these other le- levels and different layers of neuroscience kind of map onto my own work. That's not easy to do, right, in just in general. But at SFN, um, it's it's essentially set up for those kind of those kind of interactions. And so I'm usually after the meeting, I'm really energized. It's like you know, you know, and I and I'm thinking about new ways about how how what I'm seeing in my in my own work and, and new experiments and things like that. And it slowly wanes over time until the new year, until the next new year when I, you know, when I do it all over again. I mean, I I I generally I go to a lot of talks, but I, I really love the poster sessions. Um I I hunker down a lot and just see people, talk to them, what you know, what are you working on? How does it work? Or oh, tell me more, you know. And that really, really kind of gets me, really gets my, you know, my juices flowing in my brain about, about, um, you know, in, in relation to kind of my own work. Um, so I, I'm really excited for that. Um, I'm, like I said, I, I go every year and I'm very excited to kind of see all the new stuff that's out there and, you know, how to map that onto my, my, own, my own work in brain imaging and, and brain development. This is Gina Torrigiano. Picking up on that, you know, I think one of the things about SFN that is just unique is the simultaneous, incredible depth and incredible breadth. And so you can learn something completely new, get an end to a new field that you really want to understand from the bigger lectures or the symposia. And then you can go to the poster session and just dive into the nitty gritty of the stuff that, you know, is directly relevant to the experiments your graduate students are doing. And like having those two things together. um, And then the other thing I would sort of expand on uh, that's sort of been said already is just the energy in the poster sessions is kind of like nothing else. I think when the students haven't, you know, the first time they kind of walk into that football field size of the absolute cutting edge of neuroscience, it's it's kind of amazing. I mean, it's always like a little bit, oh my God, how do I fit into this like enormous thing? But it's also um, kind of revelatory, I think, um, that, it's, that it's all there. And, you know, watching the students make connections and um, meet other people, I mean, one of the great things about SFN is you're seeing friends you've made through science from all over the world and they're all there together. And it really feels like this sort of global community. And that, uh, I mean, being part of that is, it's one of the things that makes science really exciting. I'm also really excited about a lot of the specific science. I would just, you know, I'll, I'll say something about the presidential special lectures because of course I got to pick those. Um, and I really tried to pick um amazing scientists who would give us insight into um, really, again, the sort of breadth of the field using different organisms, different levels of analysis. So we're going to be hearing all the way, you know, from um, uh, piezo channels and sense of touch from Artem Patapudian. Um, We're going to be hearing about sleep and learning and Drosophila from Amita Segal. 
Um, we'll be hearing from Tiago Branco, who's using some of these, you know, wonderful new sort of neuroethological behavioral paradigms and rodents to really get insight into, you know, how brain circuits modulate and control behavior. So he'll be talking about escape behavior, um, very universal behavior. Um, and then we'll be hearing from Doris Sow, who's going to talk about um, her really kind of amazing work um, understanding the coding principles behind um, complex um, uh, perceptions. So it's going to be an amazing breadth. They're all amazing scientists and incredible communicators. So I think um, those are going to be certainly a highlight for me. With so much other great science, right? Here's Jean Zarate from Nature Neuroscience. Just listening to everybody talking about their highlights, more personal and scientific, there's a thought that's kind of percolating in my brain. And it's something that Damien had said, and it's the networking, the social networking, the inspiration to get more creative. How is it then with the outline of the presidential lectures that Gina mentioned, how do you think we can bridge across all of these different scales, right? We're talking about the genetics from Robbie, Robbie's highlights, and all the way up to Damien's neuroimaging. Is, is it just the conversations that we have at the, at the conference? How can we make that more concrete? Is it finding a better terminology? Is it just applying machine learning skills? What do you think we need to do to now bridge across all of these scales in neuroscience? This is Gina Torrigiano. Right. Well, as someone who, who certainly does that in my own research, I would say collaboration is critical. And that's another reason why these in-person meetings, I think, are so important. Because, um, I mean, you can find collabor collaborators, you know, through Zoom meetings or, or whatever. It's not impossible. But uh, again, sort of the, the sense of kind of um, chemistry, I guess, or, you know, uh, uh, synergy, intellectual synergy that you get when you're talking to someone in person, it's just much easier to assess, like, can I collaborate with this person? Is this something, do we have mutual interests that that maybe we hadn't even thought of until we saw each other's work in this, you know? So collaborations are really key. Obviously there's techniques that help you span, you know, one of those would be computational. Yeah, I think machine learning approaches are phenomenal for giving us, um, new tools for studying complex behaviors, for instance, for really, you know, for, for following freely behaving animals and trying to um, analyze what's happening in a way that's um, freer from our preconceptions about what the behavior should be measuring or what the behavior should be. And so I think that sort of in a neuroethological context is one of the things, putting behavior into a neuroethological context, something I'm really excited about. And so some of these new approaches make that much easier to do. But again, like, you know, collaborators are kind of key for pulling this off, I think. And yeah, that's absolutely right. This is Damien Fair. To reiterate that point is oftentimes you just need a little time to think through like how it's going to work, you know, and these kind of meetings, they really help with it. They really help with it. I mean, everybody's, I mean, there's no question that everybody's had the experience where you you have a great idea, you talk with somebody on a meeting on Zoom, and then you turn it off and then poof, it just goes away. Like it like it never happened, right? That's pretty much, that's everybody knows what I'm talking about because it happens every day. But if you can sit down with somebody and really, really start thinking through all the logistics about how to make a collaboration go, like 
resources, hands, you know, you know, personnel, students, you know, oftentimes across labs. I mean, um, it just takes time. And so you, when you're at SFN, you can go get lunch, you can hang out for a little bit and you have a little more opportunity to do something like that. Uh, of course, the tools are very important too. Of course, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a, a brain imager. So I think one of the great tools to do that is, is a measurement that you can get across all the different model systems, right? So what, you know, you know, for example, you know, Kaf Draza, who's one of the, one of the special doctors, done this really awesome work, you know, leveraging gap junctions from the heart and use them as tool to understand um, neurophysiology and changes in mood and behavior in animal models in the brain. It's like, it's, it's just an awesome story. Um, and really, you know, really cool example of where for, for us, as we start talking along, it's like, Hey, well, that kind of neurophysiology, well, I can, because I can put that in a scanner, you know, and it provides says, Hey, well, if I can put, if I can take your model and you have these very specific signatures that are related to mood and I can, I can identify what that signature looks like with non-invasive imaging, like functional MRI. Well, then I can see if that actually relates to that same signature that we're, we think it looks, it should look like in a human because it's the identical measurement. Right. And, and so, but those conversations, like how you put put that all together, like even coming up with the ideas, you know, you just got to be able to sit down and just be able to talk with somebody in, you know, meetings like SFN are, are um, in that type of environment, uh, allow those kind of, you know, bridges to occur. The breadth of this meeting is kind of a starting point in a way and uh, um, for, for being able to, to bridge these kinds of things. We can go uh, and say, for example, uh, uh, go to one of these uh, uh, imaging uh, talks uh, uh, and, uh, and see maybe a leader in the field uh, discussing certain imaging aspects, uh, perhaps related to a particular pathology that's related to a specific gene. Then you can go back and, and uh, find the people that are working on that gene, working on what's controlling that gene, working on what happens when you knock that gene out or when you get a gain of function of that gene, things like this. And, and you can actually start to put these things together. That's the bridging, I think, that you were talking about, Gene, is exactly that sort of thing. This opportunity exists all in one place, all at one time uh, at, at the meeting in a way that it, it just doesn't happen otherwise. I wonder whether or not terminology is a crucial factor here. The culture might have changed. But at some point, there's a lot of jargon that happens at each of the scales. And sometimes one label is the same across two different scales, but mean completely different things. So maybe it's just a thought that I wanted to leave is while we go into this conference looking for these collaborations, maybe we need to be more mindful of how get ready to explain it to someone who does not know what each of these terms mean. Absolutely. I mean, that's it's. There's no question about that. That's a barrier, and that's another reason why you know the the value of doing things in person is so helpful because you you can start working through some of those, you know, some of those some of those issues. But I think you know, it's one of the it, I, it's a very salient point because I, and I talk about this a lot because we I do a lot of public outreach and working with the community. And I'm realizing how bad of communicators we are as scientists. Often, you know. It's not our fault, of course. We're not. No one teaches us, you know, anything about, about it. Right? I mean, it's not part of our training or anything. And and uh, and 
potentially, you know, I my guess is that, you know, it's part of the acceleration process of doing exactly what you're describing will will require the field to kind of shift, you know, their value system a little bit to understand those types of barriers and actually put some energy into doing better of creating, you know, common standards and, and language across the the different layers of neuroscience. That is one of the real values of the um, the big lectures, the special lectures, the presidential lectures. Those lecturers really um, are always trying to present their work in a big context. So they usually start with you know some history of the field. These are the questions. These are why the questions are there. And then here's what we've done to try to address it. So that gives people, I think, who aren't experts, a window into a field and a way to absorb some of the language, some of the paradigms, some of the thinking that they could then take, you know, as they start to drill down in that field. So, I, but Damien's absolutely right. Like everybody should be doing that. Really, um, certainly, we we make an effort to train our graduate students to be able to talk in a general way to other scientists, um, and that's something I think that that yeah, science needs much more of. That was Conversations with Scientists, today co-hosted with Dr. Jean Zarate, Senior Editor at Nature Neuroscience. The guests were Dr. Gina Torrigiano from Brandeis University, who is current president of the Society for Neuroscience. Dr. Robbie Green from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center, who is current chair of the SFN's Public Education and Communication Committee and Dr. Damien Fair from the University of Minnesota, incoming chair of SFN's Public Education and Communication Committee. And here's a shout out and thank you to Matt Windsor and his team. He is media and communications manager of the Society for Neuroscience, and he helped in a big way for this podcast to come together. And I just wanted to say, because there's confusion about these things sometimes, the Society for Neuroscience didn't pay for this podcast. Nobody paid to be in this podcast. This is independent journalism that I produce in my living room. I'm Vivian Marks. Thanks for listening. And the music is Legend of One by Kevin McLeod, licensed by filmmusic.io. Music.